Hi, I'm Mike, lead pastor at The Ridge, and this is our weekly podcast. Thank you for joining us. Our desire is for you to grow in relationship with God, connect with others, and to experience God's purpose for life by adding value to the life of another. I hope that this message will build your faith and encourage you as we seek to grow together in God's Word. Enjoy today's message. Good morning, everybody. Like Dane said, uh, my name is Doug Applegate. I'm the director of Family Ministries here at The Ridge. Thank you for showing up this morning and for tuning in if you're online. Um, Usually the last eight months I've been down on the south side uh, helping run Ridge Kids, which includes lots of games and candy and crafts. Don't worry, I'm not going to make you play any games or make any crafts today. There might be some candy at the end of the service if you're all good. So... um, what to teach on today. Usually when Mike lets somebody take the stage, whether it's me or Julie or Joey or whoever else might be teaching, he really does let us say, uh, teach whatever we want. He says, whatever's on your heart, whatever you've been feeling, whatever you've been noticing. Uh, so when we look at the whole Bible, that's a lot to look at and it's hard to figure out what to teach out of there. So I just want to give you a quick little behind the scenes of my thought process as I landed on where we're going to go today. And it's this idea that when I get done today, Mike is going to start a series that's going to be moving us towards Easter. And when we hit Easter, that's kind of the big stories of Jesus. We're hitting Palm Sunday, the cross and Good Friday, being raised from the dead. That's a pretty big deal. Spoiler alert. That's what Easter is all about. And I started to think, man, those are the big stories. That's like what everybody knows. It's kind of like Broadway. When you think of Broadway, there's certain shows you think about. There's shows that you like. They're familiar to you. You enjoy hearing about them. Um, for instance, do you recognize this slide from this show? Les Mis, it's a popular one, kind of gave it away. The title's right there on the bottom. Uh, what about this next one? Do you recognize this one? It's a newer one. It's getting to be very popular, Hamilton. Here's one that I think just about everybody should know. <clears throat> Cats, everybody likes that one. These are like the big shows. You think of Broadway and those are the shows you think of. By the way, when Mike's not here on a Sunday, you know how he spends his time now. Um, this, this idea of big stories. And I thought, well, let's take a hard turn and maybe go to something lesser known. There's a lot of shows on Broadway, good shows. They just don't get the publicity. Have you guys ever heard of um, Pirate Queen or Moose Murders or Sing Street? Probably haven't heard of them, but they're still on Broadway. It's, they're, they're still worth checking out. And there's stories that Jesus has, and there's things that he's done. They're still worth checking out. I started thinking about the parables he told. Even in the parables, there's some that kind of reach that high-level Broadway show status. Things like the Good Samaritan, the Prodigal Son. Yes, we've all heard those. As I was going through the list of parables, though, I landed on one called The Farmer and the Barn. Kind of sounds like one of the songs we sing down on the south side, The Farmer and the Barn. And when I saw that title, I even thought to myself, well, I've read through the Bible a few times and that one doesn't stand out to me. I don't even think I know what's in that one, but it still made the cut. It's still in scripture. So it must be worth paying attention to. For a long time, I always thought everything that's in the Bible about Jesus is everything that he did for that three-year run that he had when he was doing ministry. And there's this really cool little verse at the very end of John. The book of John, he tells everything that uh, he thinks we need to know, that we need to know about Jesus. He gets done with his book. He gets done with his letter. And at the very end, in chapter 21, he says this. 
Jesus did many other things. If all of them were written down, I don't even think the world would be big enough to hold all the books that would be written. That's one of those things I'm going to tuck away back here when I get to heaven and I'm going to talk to Jesus someday. I'm going to be like, what else did you do? What else did you teach on that we don't know about? But the parable we're going to look in today made the cut. It's in there. So let's have some fun and take a look at it. The farmer and the barn. Okay, before Jesus tells us this parable, let me paint the picture of what's, what's happening. He's coming to town. People know he's showing up. And it says a couple paragraphs before the parable that thousands of people have shown up to listen to Jesus. Now, whether it's by word of mouth or posters on telephone poles, I don't know, but they're there. Thousands of people waiting to listen to what Jesus has to say. And it's really interesting. I read a few different translations. It talks about these thousands of people. It says they're trampling each other to get in to see Jesus. Kind of like you guys this morning. I saw you coming in, trampling each other to see me speak. Made me feel so good. But imagine thousands of people all crammed into wherever they are. I don't know if it's a building or a hillside, but they're, excuse me, pardon me, stepping on each other, trying to get up towards the front. Anybody who's getting ready to talk usually moves their way towards front and center stage. So I imagine Jesus is just about moving his way towards front and center stage to begin his lesson, to begin his teaching. But before he does that, it says that he pulls his disciples aside. So I imagine him, it's kind of like the band when they hang out backstage. They're almost on stage. They're together. If you sit over here, sometimes you can see what's going on back there. And that's what happens with Jesus. He's off center stage, getting ready to take the stage, talking to his disciples. And then he gets heckled at the very beginning. Somebody in the front row sees Jesus and says, hey, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. And then it says, Jesus hears him and looks and says, sir, I am not the judge in this situation. Jesus is so polite. Sometimes I think Jesus is more of a regular guy and he might've said, my man, I'm not your mom. Figure it out yourself between you and your brother. He says, hey, I'm not getting involved in that situation. And imagine he's kind of working his way towards stage. He gets yelled at and then he says, man, I'm not your mom. Figure it out. And now Jesus is front and center. And Jesus then says to the man and then to everyone who's listening, he says, beware, beware, guard yourself against greed. Life isn't measured by what you have. And I kind of wonder here at this point, another question I'm going to ask Jesus someday is this the message that you're intending to give? And it just so happened you had this guy planted in the crowd to kind of get people talking about money and stuff like that. Or did Jesus start to just improv? I don't know. But Jesus says, beware, guard yourself against greed. Life is not measured by what you have. And when I look at stuff like this, I'm getting ready to teach. I, I kind of really pay attention to, to the words that are said. And when I see life, the first thing that popped into my head was that means when I wake up in the morning, I start breathing. That's what life means to me. I'm alive. I got life. And then I'm thinking that's, I don't think that's what Jesus meant. He's not talking about our breathing and being alive. So what does he mean in that little front end of that phrase? Life isn't measured by what you own. Did he, did he maybe mean this? I don't think this is a stretch. I think you'd agree that, that he could have said this and it kind of would have meant the same thing. And it's probably what he was getting at. Could he have said, a rich life is not measured by what you own. Okay, Because we think of rich people and we think of all the stuff they have and all the money they have. But he's saying a rich life isn't measured by how much you own. Or, or maybe might he have been saying or getting us to think about a full life. Hey, a full life, if you want a nice full life that has just everything that you want and need, a full life is not measured by how much you have. Or was he maybe saying a purposeful life? 
Do you want meaning in your life? Do you want to leave a legacy in your life? You want a life with purpose, then don't look at everything you have because that's not going to equal purpose. Or was he saying a satisfying life, whether you're a teenager or a little bit older, middle-aged, older than that. If you're thinking, man, I want a life that's satisfying. It feels good when I wake up every morning. I want a life that's satisfying. Well, don't look at everything you have because that's not going to tell you if you have a satisfying life. Or here's one that I think a lot of parents, and, and I kind of do it myself a little bit, think about when we're projecting life onto our kids. We say we want our kids to have a happy life. We want our kids to have a successful. I just want them to be successful in whatever they do. Okay, but remember, a successful life, Jesus is saying, isn't measured by all the stuff that we have. So after Jesus says that, beware, guard against greed, life isn't measured by what you have, then he starts and he gives his parable about this farmer and his barn. It's in Luke chapter 12. Jesus says to the crowd, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And then he told them a story. He says, so there's this rich man, a farmer. He had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. At some point, this farmer says to himself, what should I do? Look at all my crops. I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said to himself, oh, I know. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger barns. Then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and all my other goods. And I'll just sit back. And I'll say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But then God said to him, you fool, you're going to die this very night. Then who will get everything that you've worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but to not have a rich relationship with God. All right, so that's what Jesus is telling these people. That's what he says. So what does he mean by all this? Let's just double check some things to make sure we're on the same page. First of all, before he even starts the parable, again, he's got that phrase, beware, guard against greed. Other translations will take that word beware out and they'll drop in words like take heed, watch out, be careful. But other places in scripture where Jesus uses that same word and they drop in the word beware, in those places he's talking about things that are very dangerous, life-threatening situations, things that are very, very important. And so I think for us to keep that same word in there, beware, lets us know that, hey, something very important is about ready to happen. We need to be listening to Jesus on whatever he's about to say. Because those other words, watch out or be careful, those are more like, Hey, watch out. Don't sit on that bench. We just painted it. Or oh, watch out. Don't step on that area of the yard. We just plant some grass seed. Like no big deal. But beware is saved for the big stuff. Beware. Bridge out ahead. Stop. Don't go any further. Turn around. Beware of dog. We put that on there not because we're worried the dog is going to lick you to death, but because he's going to gnaw off one of your legs. Like beware. Don't go in there. Stay away. It's dangerous. So that's what Jesus is setting up as he gets into this parable. Beware, guard against your heart. Guard against greed. And I wonder if he's warning us this because sometimes greed, this idea of greed can kind of sneak into how we think. 
Because then he says, life isn't measured by what you have. So I wonder if, without even thinking about it, sometimes we do start to measure what we have and we compare it to other people. Then when I started thinking about this, I was like, that does happen to me. And I wonder if it happens to you. And it happened to me one time I was thinking, and I was kind of embarrassed to tell this story, but I'll tell it anyway just to give you a glimpse into my mind. So I'm, I'm at a secondhand store. I think it was like Goodwill or Salvation Army or something like that. And somebody came into the store, and what they were wearing wasn't real fashionable. It was kind of old. It was just it was old. It just didn't look good what they had on. And I remember thinking for a moment, thinking when I saw them, I just thought, oh, that poor lady. Like, just, just look at her. Like, just look. And just for a moment, there's a piece of me that was kind of like, not like, look, hey, pay attention. It was like, oh, look at her. I, I'm glad I'm not her. She must have something going on in her life that has put her in this situation that she looks the way she does. And I'm looking at what she has and I met her what she doesn't have, nicer clothes, and I'm measuring what she doesn't have compared to what I have. And then I had to laugh a little bit because I looked at what I had. I had just come from another job that I have where I paint. And so I had my painting clothes on and there's paint all over my clothes. And easily she could have looked at me and thought, oh, that poor guy. Look at those clothes he has to wear, all, those, all that paint on his clothes. And it's just kind of interesting. Like, I don't mean to go there, but it just... This, this idea of greed and measuring what I have compared to what you have and it might make me a better person than you and just that idea can kind of sneak into our life a little bit. And I know, I mean, I was able to kind of correct and, and grab that thought and be like, no, don't, the clothes don't show how much value she has. God loves her. She's a valuable person, just like I'm a valuable person. So beware of greed. Jesus warns us again. He has a famous sermon in Matthew. It's called Sermon on the Mount. And he says, isn't life more than just food? Isn't the body more than just clothes? And he says this in his sermon as a rhetorical question. Yes, obviously. Life is more than that stuff. Don't measure the type of food you eat, how much food you eat, the clothes you wear, the car you drive, the place you live. That's not what gives us value. That's not what gives you real life. Life is more than just what we own. And then this idea of thinking about that, life is more than what we own. We have things. Most of us in here have, have some things. At some point in time, do those things then begin to own us? And do those things... And those people we hang around with and those, some of those thoughts that sneak into our, into our head, do those things start to guide us and nudge us and tell us how to handle our wealth and, and how to handle our money? And, and all this is applicable, I think, to all of us, whether we have thousands of dollars sitting in an investment program, an investment plan, or you throw on your pants today that you haven't worn for a few months and you reach in your pocket and you find an extra $5 bill and it's like, yes. Anything extra that we have, this all applies to us. And I wonder when it comes to spending some of that extra, what goes through your head? What kind of thoughts do you have when you're thinking about the extra that you have, whether it's a lot or a little? I started to think about, okay, what am I really thinking about when I go and buy something? And I've had this conversation with, with some friends and, and we've, these ideas pop into our head. Do any of these pop into your head? Sometimes when I'm thinking about buying something, it's like, I've had a rough day. I've had a rough week. It's just going to make me feel better. If I can go buy a new coat, a new pair of shoes, 
I don't know, but it's just going to make me feel better. Maybe my, maybe my boss yelled at me this week, or I broke up with my boyfriend or girlfriend, or I flunked a test. And there's just that subtle idea. Got a little bit of extra. If I buy something, it's just going to make me feel better about myself. Do you ever think that? Or, or do you think this? Does this kind of push you and nudge you into how you handle your wealth? You see somebody who has something and it's new. And you're like, oh, I didn't know that new version came out yet. Or that new model came out yet. I got a little bit of money saved up. Yeah, I'm going to go get one now. Just because it's the new thing. Is that sometimes the reason you buy something? Is that how you handle your wealth? Or do you have this attitude? Hey, it's my money. I'm the one who got up in the morning and went to, went to work. I'm the one who has the job. It's my name on that paycheck. It's, it's my money. I'm going to decide what to do with it. No one else is going to tell me what to do with my money. My grandma gave me that $50 for my birthday. It's my $50. I'm going to spend it how I want to. Maybe you hang with a group of people and you just want to fit in. You want to wear what they wear. You want to go where they go. You want to drive where they drive. I mean, whatever it is, it's just, it just feels good to fit in. I don't stand out. I'm not different. I fit in. I'm going to buy the things that just help me feel like I'm part of the group. Or I know some people, and because I lived a bunch of my life in youth world and youth ministry, I knew some kids who ran in certain groups and they said, I'm going to get something because I want to look different. I want to stand out. I don't want to look like everybody else. I want to look edgy. I want to look independent. I want to look different than everyone else. And that kind of drove them and how they handled their money and what they spent their money on. That was, that was, that was kind of interesting. Sometimes people, it's just as easy as your influence because of who's selling it. It's a famous person, an athlete you like, an actress or an actor that you look up to. I know that sounds kind of cheap too, like, ah, I'm not going to buy it just because a famous person is, is pushing the product. But I mean, come on, why do corporations pour millions of dollars into their advertising and using famous people? Because it does influence us. Are these some of the ideas that come into your head when you're thinking of how do I handle that extra that I have? Is this what guides you? Or do you go to God and you're like, God, I have some extra. What should I do with it? How should I handle it? God, you tell me. Help me learn. Holy Spirit, talk to me. I, I kind of hit all, all of them. All of those thoughts that I just went through kind of go through my head at some time or another when I'm spending some of my extra money. I, I want to lean more towards, God, what do you want me to do with it? More. Every time I kind of want that to be my default position that I have. Um, but honestly, it doesn't always happen all the time. I got to be paying attention to how I'm handling it. It almost sounds like we could be leaning in towards this idea, though, that if you have extra, if you have a little bit more, you're bad. And that's why this farmer is a fool. He's a fool because he's got crops. He's got extra crops. And this is what's making him bad. It is not bad that he has extra, that he's a rich farmer. That's not what's making him a fool. So if you're in a position where you do have some extra set aside or in your pocket, that alone doesn't make you bad. There's people who had extra in the Bible and when God looked at them, he thought, man, I love you. I can tell that you love me. You're righteous. Your heart's in the right place. People like Abraham and Jacob and Solomon and Job, they were all very rich. 
but they were in right standing with God. So just by having something, so don't, don't get that from this message that having something means you're bad. And on the reverse side, just because you don't have something, don't think you're better either. Sometimes, I'm not poor by any means, but there's some people who have more than I do. And sometimes when I see them, I think, oh, yeah, you have to deal with having more. You're probably a bad person because you're greedy because, look, you got more than I do. And I kind of project that onto them and think, oh, I'm, I'm not as bad as you because I don't have as much as you. But just because you don't have as much doesn't make you better either. So don't don't slide into that. Paul even warns Timothy in, in chapter 6 of his letter to Timothy. He says, people who want to be rich sometimes fall into a temptation too, and it plunges them into ruin. So this idea of greed can hit us no matter where we are, no matter how much we have. So as Jesus said, beware, guard against this idea of greed. Now the reason the farmer is a fool, the reason Jesus is using him as a bad example is because he looks at all of his stuff and that's where he puts his trust. He looks at what he has and he thinks, I'm doing okay, I'm doing good. Jesus warns us again, it pops up all the time. In Mark 10, Jesus says, hey, those who have a lot of possessions, it's going to be hard, not impossible, but it's going to be hard to enter into the kingdom of God. So again, that's why Jesus is saying, beware. He's telling us, beware, guard against greed. It can sneak up on you and it's dangerous. And I think where this farmer gets in trouble is because of he looks at everything and he only looks at his stuff and himself. In this story, Jesus is saying, the farmer says, ah, look at my crops. Look at my barn. I'm going to build myself a bigger barn. Look at all my grain. Look at all my goods. Look at myself. And it's all me, 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 me. That's how he's looking at everything. Never once does he thank God for, thank you, God, for the fertile land you gave me. Thank you, God, for the rain that you sent down onto my crops. Thank you for the workers that are here to help me build the bigger barn. It's always just mine, mine, mine. That's what this farmer is looking at. And and there's a really subtle little thing that's happening in this parable that Jesus is, is telling us. When Jesus is telling the parable and he says the farmer says to himself, Ah, self, I'm going to say to myself, you've done good. You're okay. You're set for many years. Sit back, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. At the very beginning of that comment that the farmer says to himself, he says, ah, myself, I'm going to say to myself, you've done good. Sit back. There's some translations that put in there that says, he says not to myself, but he says to my soul, we've done good sit back, relax, and enjoy. And as I was doing some extra reading, some people were, were saying that when the farmer says, ah, I'm going to say to my soul, he's not only saying, hey, we're doing good right now, sit back, relax, eat, drink, and be merry, but he's also saying, my soul is going to be okay in the future, in an eternity. Look at what I've done. Look at what I have. I'm okay now, and I'm going to be okay moving forward when I die. And then that's when God says, oh, you fool, you're going to die tonight and everything you have isn't going to help you at all. Who are you going to give it to? You didn't share it. You didn't give it. And it's not going to help you now. This idea that the farmer, though, is, is thinking about all of my stuff 
he's thinking about his crops and that kind of stuff. And he's thinking about, I'm going to have this stuff now and I'm going to eat, drink and be merry. Even to eat, drink and be merry isn't bad. Because there's a spot in Ecclesiastes. There's actually three spots where Solomon is writing in Ecclesiastes. And Solomon is known as one of the wisest people who ever lived. He asked God for wisdom over wealth. And three times in Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, eat, drink, and enjoy what you've earned. Like, take a break. Eat, drink, enjoy. This is one of the weird places where sometimes people who don't take the time to really understand what's going on, they'll see, see the Bible, it's contradicting itself. It says, Solomon there is saying, yes, go ahead, eat, drink, and be merry. And then Jesus tells a parable about this farmer that's saying, eat, drink, and be merry. And then Jesus calls him a fool. Well, the difference is that farmer, again, is just looking at myself, myself, my stuff, my stuff, my stuff. And Solomon says, eat, drink, and be merry. And the next thing Solomon says in these Ecclesiastes verses are, and enjoy what God has given us. These are all gifts from God. So yes, God is going to bless us with some stuff sometimes. Solomon is saying, enjoy it. But know where it comes from. And know that sometimes God is blessing you too because he wants you. He wants to give you something. He wants to take care of you. He's our loving father. And then he also wants you to share some of your stuff because there's other people that maybe need help. And so Solomon is saying, yeah, go ahead, enjoy. But also remember what else we're supposed to be doing with this stuff. When I first read through the parable too, it kind of sounded like maybe this guy was bad because he built a bigger barn. It's like, oh, look at him, build a bigger barn. Look how greedy he is. But even building the bigger barn isn't bad. There's this other parable that talks about this guy who gives his employees some, some money and then he leaves and then he comes back and then he actually rewards those who have grown their wealth. So this idea of growing wealth isn't terrible. And actually, if you think about it, the guy who built the bigger barns in the parable was actually just being quite responsible because if he didn't build a bigger barn, then that means some of his crops would have been left in the field, rained on, blowed away, rotted, maybe animals come and eat it. Maybe somebody comes and steals it. So for him to actually build a bigger barn, he's actually being responsible, growing his wealth and saving it and keeping it safe. But again, where he's the fool is he's thinking, this is all I need. It's all for me. It's all I need. It's going to help me now. It's going to help me in the future when I die. And he just keeps it all for himself. Mine, 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 and mine. We have to remember that it's not bad to have wealth. It's not bad to have a little bit of extra. What do we do with it though? Who are we going to have guide us in knowing how to handle that little bit of extra that we have or that lot of bit of extra that we have? Is it going to be other thoughts? Is it going to be the world? Or are we going to go to God and say, God, help me. I want to listen to you. Tell me. And Paul reminds us of this again. This kind of theme keeps popping up all the time. Paul says it again in 1 Timothy. He says, teach those who are rich not to be proud. Not to trust in their money, it's unreliable, but trust in God who gives us all that we need. And let's also remember, what do we really need? We could almost say, dude, we really need food, shelter, and clothes. Like we need that. Yeah, we do. But what do we even need beyond that? Because once we die... What do we need in the next life? We need a savior. We need somebody to help us do the things that we can't do. 
When we do leave this earth and we go stand in front of God someday, he says, hey, you need to be punished for the things you did that were wrong. And that's where we'll be able to say, yeah, I love your son and I know about what he did for me and I'm going to let him take that punishment for me. God says, good move. You're smart. But then God's going to say, only perfect people get to come into my kingdom. And that's where we can say too, yeah, God, Jesus did live the perfect life. And Jesus said, I could claim that perfect life as my own. And that's what we're really going to need someday. A savior that's paid the price that we can't pay and has lived the life that we can't live. And because I know Jesus did that for me, I love him for it. And because I love him and I love his father, I love my father, I trust them. So now when I look at the extra I have, whether it's extra money, extra gifts, extra talents, extra time, I look to God and I say, God, what do you want me to do with it? I trust your advice. And that is the story of the farmer and his barns. I'll now hand it off to Jake. Thanks for joining us today and listening to our weekly podcast. My name is Will Heron. I'm the director of discipleship here at The Ridge. If you would like to dig a little deeper into what we've been talking about today, uh, be sure to check out Beyond the Sermon. This is a weekly devotional that goes out after second service on Sunday. There you'll find the scripture that we've been looking at, some questions for you to, to dive into. But then there's also a discussion uh, that I have with whoever is teaching that Sunday, and we just dive deeper into different themes and topics from the sermon. If you've enjoyed our podcast, feel free to share it with your friends, and also jump on our website, ridgelife.org, to get more connected here at the Ridge.